Hey, y'all. Welcome back to part two of episode 31 of the Brianna Approved podcast. Now, if you missed part one, that goes over the importance of inflammation, why we actually need it, and it's kind of just a misunderstood and oversimplified topic. So be sure that you go and listen to that. I wanted to make this two separate episodes in case you sort of just wanted to get right to what labs should I be running if I am concerned about what's going on with systemic inflammation. This is a little bit different than just a cardiovascular panel where we would get into maybe like LDL particle size and our ratio, and that can be a different topic. But um, this is specifically regarding the conversation around inflammation. Now, if you want to have an actual PDF handout of this podcast, all you need to do is leave a review for the podcast, take a screenshot of it, and send it to me on either Instagram or email me, briannadiorio at gmail.com, and I will send you a PDF because this is not as exciting to just hear about some panels that I'm going to run off. However, I am planning on creating a lab panel course that should be worked on and released sometime maybe later in the summer. So um, again, let's just, let's get into it because I want to talk about, um, you know, labs to run for inflammation. And understanding these inflammation, these inflammatory lab markers, it's really critical for not only identifying underlying health issues, but also it's important for making specific and individual changes for your individual health and your overall vitality and your quality of life, right? So, um, and with any lab, I love going over labs with clients. It's actually one of my favorite things because what we want to always do is look at the big picture of what's trending. If things are trending high, if things are trending low, relative to some of the symptoms that you may or may not have going on. I also want to start by saying this is a little bit different than just doing a CBC or a complete blood count, um, which that is also important, right? Because that does definitely give us a comprehensive view of what's going on. And looking at white blood cells, this is something that I see people just skip over all the time because they'll kind of just look at their labs and it'll be with, quote, within range. And depending on where you had your lab drawn, what what day you had it done, where you are in your cycle. I mean, there's a lot of things that can affect what is considered within range relative to that lab. Um, but I do always want people as well um, to be aware of what's going on with their white blood cells because this is actually a really important part of the inflammation big picture conversation because our immune system is a part of that inflammation conversation, right? So um, if we're looking at things like basophils, for example, if we have an increased percentage of these, this can be associated with things like allergies and skin disorders, which can go back to inflammatory issues at the root cause. Um, We also have things like lymphocytes, right? Uh, If we have very low levels of lymphocytes, this can actually be associated with things like depression and different mood disorders. If we have monocytes, which again is another type of white blood cell, a higher percent of monocytes um, has been shown to be associated with an increased cardiovascular disease risk and also neutrophils. So if we chronically have high numbers of neutrophils, this has also been associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Again, because our immune response is part of the inflammation cascade. So if we are chronically overactivating the immune system, that means that it's probably as a compensatory response due to excessive inflammation. So I just wanted to, you know, put that out there. 
But let's talk about some labs specifically that you should be running. And again, if you want a PDF of this, make sure you leave a review for the podcast um, and send it to me. Okay, so let's get into it first. One of my absolute favorite important labs to run is C-reactive protein. So C-reactive protein is actually produced in your liver, and that indicates that there is inflammation systemically in the body. If you remember the fun fact of the day while I sip cafe from part one of the episode 31, we talk about how looking at liver enzymes is actually very important for cardiovascular disease and fatty liver and things like that. And so um, if we do have some of these increased levels of C-reactive protein, this can be this can be implicated in cardiovascular disease. Again, um, we want to be looking at the liver health in general. And so there is a clinical range, right? And then there's always going to be an optimal range. And so the clinical range is what's kind of, I think, a little bit more conservative. And then the optimal range is just that. It's a bit more optimal. So the clinical range for C-reactive protein is around zero and three milligrams per liter. Um, the optimal range is going to be a little bit more zero to one milligrams per liter. So if I see levels over one milligram per liter, this tells me that the individual is having an inflammatory response. Now, this can be due to acute trauma. It could be chronic conditions that's going on. But ideally, we do want to see these levels low as possible. Um, And again, we can actually see C-reactive protein if we have higher levels of this produced by the liver. This can be due to, or it could be also correlated with things like rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, um, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. So it is a really important marker of systemic inflammation. Another big picture marker that I love to look at for people is hemoglobin A1c. So this looks at our blood sugar over a 90-day period, right? And so... um, If we're looking at what's going on or how sticky our red blood cells over a 90-day period, it's a little bit more accurate than just doing a blood glucose test, let's say, after a meal or before a meal or what have you, right? Because that can be dynamic and changing due to stress and um, inflammation. It can be obviously things that are pre-diabetic and whatnot, but we do want to look at what's going on with that because... um, it gives us a nice 30,000 foot view of, again, that two to three month range. So hemoglobin A1C um, gives us that amount of glucose in your blood or your blood sugar over the past three months. And so it really does give us a good picture of inflammation, potentially um, pre-diabetes. And the clinical range is going to be around between 4.8 and 5.6. And again, that optimal range is going to be around 4.5 to 5.2. What's also important to note about this is that When we have a lot of blood sugar going on, the sugar and the proteins that kind of are, you know, in our bloodstream, they kind of, quote, hook up, if you will. And when they hook up, what happens is that they produce what's called AGEs or advanced glycated end products. And this can eventually damage the endothelial lining of our blood vessels, as well as our nerve joints and other major organs. So that is why blood glucose can be implicated in a lot of these diseases over time. Next, we want to look at fasting insulin. This is actually not a blood marker that's run a lot. Sometimes you have to kind of fight your doctor on getting these run. And I should actually say that if you're having an issue with your primary care physician, there's a lot of really great other labs that people can kind of 
mm, skirt around to get their levels checked. So something like Ulta Labs has a really great program where you can just get the script basically sent right to you. Um, So I I just want to let people know that. But fasting insulin, this is very important, right? Because blood sugar imbalances can increase your risk of inflammation, but we also see blood sugar imbalances in things that are related to hormone imbalances. So, you know, PCOS, if there's a lot of um, maybe excess androgens in the body, if we are seeing hormone issues, right? So this is important to look at. And there was actually a study in 2016, it was published in the Journal of Biomedical Science. It found the development of insulin resistance and increased inflammatory response um, is correlated. So again, we want to look at hemoglobin A1C, but also fasting insulin, again, because this can tell us what's going on with inflammation, um, insulin resistance, blood sugar issues, and potentially diabetes. And so that clinical range is going to be around 2.6 to 24.9. So that's a pretty big range. Um, and they measure that in what's called micromoles. The optimal range, what we actually really like to see, is between one to five um, IUs per milliliter. So that's going to be, I think, really important again because when we are maybe having increased carbohydrate cravings, um, if we're always hungry, if our blood sugar is dysregulated, if our cells are becoming resistant to insulin um, over time, this can cause issues with our blood sugar balance uh, and inflammation. So we do want to be aware of that. Another one that people actually don't think about in regards to inflammation is your serum ferritin levels, right? So this actually looks at the level of ferritin in your body to detect if you potentially have iron deficiency anemia and other health issues. So if we have underlying iron deficiency, this can be age-related or it can be implicated in inflammation. So elevated serum ferritin levels can indicate liver disease. It can also indicate autoimmune disease. Um, We've seen it in some cancer research and then, of course, inflammation as well. So the optimal range is about 30 to 400. I'm sorry, the... the, um, the optimal range for females, I should say, is 50 to 150. And then for men, it's going to be around 75 to 150. And again, because ferritin is sort of this intracellular protein. So again, it's a protein that's found inside of our cells that stores iron. And then it's kind of released in this sort of like slow drip fashion. And so this protein is actually produced by almost all living organisms. Um, And so it kind of is really important. Again, if we have higher serum ferritin levels, this can tell us that we maybe are having um, alcohol excess, that we have liver disease, that we have acute inflammatory conditions, and then iron overload as well. So we do want to look like that because iron can actually be a pro-oxidant in the body. um, So something we do have to be aware of. Something that's also important is your red blood cell width. So the size of your blood cells really looks at how your cells mature and how they de- and how um, they are doing relative to your methylating agents. So methylating agents are going to be things like folate and vitamin B12. And so if we have red blood cell distribution markers um, that are maybe not doing great with our B vitamins, then we can have inflammation-related conditions. So the clinical range is going to be about 12.3 and 15.4%. And then that optimal range is going to be around 11.5 to 13%. So if the level is above 13%, right? So the the um, width of our blood cells, that, could, that can tell us that inflammation has um, impacted the development of our red blood cells. And so 
what happens is if we have high red, red blood cell width, this can be due to oxidative stress, oxidative damage, right? Free radical damage. Also deficiencies in vitamin B12 and folate. If we have low red blood cell width, this can actually be due to anemia, um, potentially cancer, so things like leukemia, and then vitamin B6 deficiency. So it does give us a little bit bigger of um, a picture. Next, one of my absolute favorite blood markers is homocysteine. So homocysteine is an amino acid that's in your blood. You generally get this from, you know, eating meat. And homocysteine is actually an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. There are so many research articles. Um, You can look in, you know, experimental and clinical cardiology. I mean, they have found time and time again that elevated homocysteine levels is indicated um, in not only inflammation, but also acute coronary syndrome. So again, that optimal range for homocysteine is going to be between six and nine micromoles. Um, But Ideally, we want to kind of see that under about eight micromoles. And again, homocysteine, what happens when we have this elevated uh, protein, this can have a direct impact on increasing our risk for cardiovascular disease because what happens is homocysteine actually injures the arterial walls and then some of these fatty substances can accumulate. And then uh, if you remember how I talked about understanding what's going on with your white blood cells, circulating immune cells such as monocytes right? White blood cells, they actually go to the site of the injury and can cause more inflammation in an attempt to kind of clean things up, if you will. And then what happens is that these arterial arterial cells proliferate or they basically increase in number and they multiply in an effort to basically heal any of these lesions that we might have. And this over time can actually cause plaque to build up on the vessel lining. And then what happens then is that plaque can kind of break off and then get lodged into places that it shouldn't. So we do really, really, really want to look at what's going on with our homocysteine levels. I want to take a little bit of time to talk um, roughly about some key liver enzymes. Again, because liver enzymes are going to be super important. Our liver does so much. I've done you know, previous episodes on the liver and, um, you know, it's kind of 500 different functions that it has, but we do want to look at something like our LDH or our lactate dehydrogenase levels, um, because this is really important for, um, seeing what's going on with cellular oxidation, um, stress, inflammation. So we want to look at an optimal range of 140 to 80. And then we also want to look um, at what's going on with our neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio. So this measures stress and inflammation that can kind of affect, uh, again, your immune response. So again, when your body is dealing with chronic inflammation over time, lymphocytes kind of will drop and then neutrophils will rise. And this creates kind of an imbalance. So this neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio is usually measure, measured, um, with what's called an absolute count. And we want to see levels around 1.2 to 2.0. So if we see that numbers of neutrophils are more than twice the amount of lymphocytes, this tells us that we have signs of chronic inflammation. Again, because when we have the neutrophils and lymphocytes getting released, this tells us how much immune activity is happening. So during periods of inflammation, neutrophil neutrophil count can increase, and then the lymphocytes kind of are suppressed. So we do want to be aware of that, of how much is our immune system always being um, overactivated. 
So back to the liver enzymes, um, just to clarify, um, LDH is, is not a liver enzyme. It's just an enzyme that's found in all of your living cells. Um, however, our liver enzymes specifically, we want to talk a little bit about um, ALT, AST, GGT, and ALP. So again, you're not going to get tested on this. I just want people to kind of be aware of this and some of the markers. But again, our liver is what's responsible for, it's actually really, it's a part of our immune response, but it's also really important for um, breaking down what's going on with stress hormones and hormones in general and filtration systems. So if we have high levels of, let's say something like ALT, this can tell us that we have liver stress and or glutathione deficiencies. So this can also be due to low levels of vitamin B6. We want to see levels for ALT around 10 to 26 units um, per liter of blood. If we're looking at our AST levels, ideally the ratio is going to be around 10 to 26, our optimal ratio. And if we have high levels, again, elevated levels of AST, this can tell us, again, we have glutathione deficiency um, and B6 deficiency. Now, if you're thinking, oh, if I have glutathione deficiency, I should just automatically take a glutathione supplement. That's actually not great. Glutathione's a really big molecule. It's really poorly absorbed orally through supplementation. So you either have to get something like an IV or take some of the precursors like ALA and NAC. Those can, and as well as, you know, B6, those can all be kind of important for um, supporting glutathione and liver health in general. Another one that we want to look at is GGT. So the ratios there again are going to be between 10 and 26. And if we have low levels, that can tell us, again, we have maybe um, B6 deficiency going on. And if we have high levels, this, again, tells us that we have a lot of um, uh, liver stress. And then ALP as well, levels between 55 and 95. So um, that can actually tell us that we have low levels of zinc. So ALP is one of those ones that is going to be important to listen to um, as well. Again, because liver enzymes can indicate not only inflammation in the liver, but also what's going on with our gallbladder, our bile, and kidney issues. So can kind of really be uh, related to cardiometabolic problems in general. A quick side note, obviously you're going to want to run a lipid panel. Like I said, I should probably do a separate episode on this in general, but we do know that your lipid panel is going to give kind of a bigger picture of what's going on with everything besides just your cholesterol. Cholesterol is such a small part of the conversation. It is important, of course, because it's the backbone of our sex hormones. Our body actually releases more of it in times of inflammation. So if you're wondering why your cholesterol levels are higher, but what we also want to look at is the ratio of our LDLs to HDLs. We also want to look at our ratio of triglycerides to HDLs. Um, ideally, we're looking for a LDL to HDL ratio of about three to one or two to one is going to be a little bit more ideal. Um, we also want to think about what's going on with our triglycerides, ideally having those under 100 and looking for a triglyceride to HDL ratio of about two to one. Uh, and if we have higher rates of that, that can actually tell us we maybe have insulin resistance going on, inflammation. But again, um, we also want to look at our VLDLs. We want to look at our LDL particle size, if we have large buoyant particles, if we have small dense particles. So um, just be aware of trying to not get so stressed out if you just see 
a cholesterol number and your first reaction is, oh my God, I have to go on a statin. We want to always ask like, why is my cholesterol elevated in the first place? If we just take a statin and we don't figure out why, that is like having a fire go off in your house and having the firemen come and just turn off the fire alarm and having the fire still burning in the background. That doesn't help us, right? So we do want to look at, like I said, all of these other things. If we have increased LDL particle size, um, that can be, you know, around the conversation of what's going on with how much our particles can become oxidized, right? Um, we want to try and increase the amount of our HDLs because that is actually what helps us to recycle LDLs from the blood before it has a chance to become oxidized. And again, lower triglycerides in general as well can also improve our triglyceride to HDL ratio. Um, and then improving that LDL to HDL ratio in general is going to be important. So I, I do want to... Um, you know, make that clear, but I should probably make that its own separate episode as I actually did my master's thesis on cholesterol and it's a really misunderstood topic. And then lastly, for extra credit, vitamin D3. This is going to be really important um, because if we have lower levels of this, this is can be indicated in inflammation. And then we also now know that lower levels of vitamin D3 is related to a lot of these inflammatory diseases like arthrosclerosis, cardiovascular disease, IBD, um, you know, kidney disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver, even asthma we're seeing. So it, ideally, we want to see anywhere between 50 nanograms um, per milliliter to 70 nanograms per milliliter. The lowest I like to see is 40, but if you're around 50 to 70, that is like truly the sweet spot. Um, I don't think you need to be in the 100 range. I think that's actually a little excessive. Um, if you're pushing 70 to, to 100, you can maybe go on a vitamin D2 supplementation, which is going to be more of a maintenance phase, doesn't do as great of a job as actually increasing vitamin D levels as vitamin D3 does. But if you want to learn more about that, I actually talked about that in episode one of the podcast. So, um, you know, definitely check that out. So that was kind of a boring episode because it's just me talking. And like I said, um, if you want to have this in a more digestible way, in a PDF format, leave a review for the podcast, send the review to me because that really helps get it out there. And I will be hopefully releasing a class and working on this um, sometime in the summer of 2022. So stay tuned for more e-learning opportunities as well as my Befriending Anxiety course, which will be dropping this um, this spring as well. And as always, you know, make sure you're signed up on the website, briannadiorio.com to keep up with all things Brianna approved. And I hope y'all have an amazing day. Ciao.